Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. It was a season of dryness for me. My venture to France in March of 2010 was as much a pilgrimage to engage in the rhythms of the ecumenical community of today as it was a desire to be refreshed and renewed. Now, to be clear, it wasn't that I was in any way doubting the existence of God or even doubting God's faithfulness to me in my life. But there was a noticeable shift upon entering into the first semester of seminary where the academic study of God began to take precedence over studying God's word for the enrichment and health of my soul. And so I needed to escape from the noise and clamor and to sit and soak in the word of God in hopes that he would meet me in my desert. In our text for this morning, we find a reason to celebrate because if we allow God to control our lives, he will restore us in our dryness. I want to invite you to turn to our text for this morning. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. And as you turn there, let me provide a brief historical context. Ezekiel prophesied during a time of great confusion and great transition. In 722 B.C., the northern tribes of Israel fell to the Assyrians and went into exile. Then around 597 B.C., the Babylonians had begun to exile the southern kingdom of Judah, And Ezekiel was among the first of those to be exiled. In 587, the temple was destroyed. And in 586, the southern kingdom of Judah had fallen into the hands of the Babylonian Empire. And more and more Jews found themselves in exile. A distinction of this moment in history, that the exiled northern kingdom of Israel, and now again for the southern kingdom of Judah, was that prophets emerged in these times of crises to bring God's message to his people. The time of Judah's exile was therefore a period of intense prophetic activity. Ezekiel's fellow exiles formed his main audience, but it seems likely that his oracles would have been communicated back to his compatriots in Judah. The vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, our text for this morning, is arguably one of the most well-known passages in the entire book of Ezekiel. Its importance for both Jews and Christians is indicated by the periods in which it's led liturgically. It accompanies the Torah reading on the Sabbath of Passover week and is found as often as twice a year in the Revised Common Lectionary, which is still used in many churches today. So let us look to God's word. I'm going to be starting with verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin. 
and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, that there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the word of the Lord. Now many of you are probably unaware of the fact that my undergraduate degree was in theater and drama from Indiana University. Coming from a theatrical background, and I'd assume anyone coming out of any sort of language, language arts degree, that it's nearly impossible to read a story and not immediately look at the way that it's structured. And so I'm going to suggest that Ezekiel's prophetic vision has three key structural components, a setting, an action, and a resolution. And from what is told in these three components informs us of two application points. And so I'd like to encourage you to keep your Bibles open as I will be referring back to the text throughout this message. First, in verses 1 through 3, we have the setting described to us. We read again, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many, very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. The visionary scene described here is gruesome. First impressions of a grotesque mask of bones are reinforced as a prophet is taken around the site. He's made aware, too, that what were once corpses had long since rotted or been eaten away into fleshless bones. The valley itself that Ezekiel is viewing very well could be the site of a battlefield. And the bones that he is walking amongst could, as well, be bones of a fallen Israelite army. And then God asks Ezekiel a question. He asks him if these bones can live. Now the question God poses is seemingly ridiculous. We can only guess whether or not Ezekiel's reply was one of sincerity or even perhaps one of sarcasm. Today, there's a lot of debate among theologians as to whether or not the idea of a bodily resurrection would even be believed to be conceivable by the people of the Old Testament. As Nathan and I were discussing this text last week, uh, we were reminded of a lecture by TED's professor, Dr. D.A. Carson, um, on this topic. He was lecturing on the idea of the resurrection, um, and he was referring to the Ezekiel 37 passage. And in regard to this passage, he would argue that by way in which metaphors even work, you cannot avoid the fact that the language is cast in the terms of the resurrection. He argues that in one sense, if you're just talking about exile, then Assyria and Babylon were sort of grave places, and what is being promised is that they are as good as dead. The tendency among scholars is to say that this is merely a colorful way to talk about the theme of exile. Yet at the end of the day, this is cast in terms of a resurrection. So at the very least that must be said is that resurrection is not an alien category to these people. 
he would continue to say that when you use a metaphor and you describe A in terms of B, which is exactly what a metaphor does, you have to assume that the people know something about B or else the metaphor won't make any sense. So with that in mind, it is certainly feasible to come to an understanding and a belief that Ezekiel would have an understanding of the bodily resurrection. But in this case, we don't really need to focus so much on this issue because although one might believe that a corpse could be revived, these pathetic piles of bones were hopelessly dead and nowhere near the point of revival. So now we have a scene established. We're going to move forward to the action, which is found in verses 4 through 10. And let me read those verses again. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. In verses 4 through 6, God commands Ezekiel to essentially preach to this valley filled of dead, dry bones. A command that probably seemed a bit ridiculous to him at the time. But in, following, in the following verses, verses 7 through 10, we see Ezekiel's obedience to God's commands. And what happens when Ezekiel obeys is we start to see life being restored. And this resurrection occurs in two stages. First, there's a physical restoration. As Ezekiel begins to prophesy, the bodies start to take proper shape. The bones come together. They form new ligaments, new tendons, muscles, and flesh. They look as if they should have life, and yet they remain lifeless. This miraculous scene of the bones taking shape suddenly comes to a drastic halt. And once more, the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy, this time prophesying to the wind to enter into the bodies to provide breath. Thus, the second stage of this resurrection a spiritual restoration. This image of the breath filling the bodies is reminiscent of the image of the original creation of man in Genesis 2, which followed a similar pattern whereby the human being was formed first before receiving breath from God. And so it is as the bodies are filled with breath, we are left viewing a scene in which God is recreating his creation. Finally, the third movement of this text brings us a resolution, which we find in verses 11 through 14. Now let's look at those together. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Within these three verses, the vision itself becomes rather self-evident and needs little interpretation once the bones are identified as the whole house of Israel. This vision demonstrates the restoration of a life to a people who have been dead for some time. The vision provides the Israelites with a hope to be reunited as a people once more in the land that God had promised to them. The bones, or better yet, the entire house of Israel in that day would declare several things about themselves, as we see in this text. First, they would declare that they were dry. Though quantitative time may be implied by the physical dryness of the bones, the emphasis of the interpretation was on the qualitative spiritual deadness of the people. As a result of the exile, the people of Israel had a mentality of a people who had given up hope who had felt abandoned, who had felt cut off from God's promise. And so they declare that their hope has been perished completely. They have lost hope in God's covenant being fulfilled. We also see that they are separated from another. Again, a result of the exile was that God's people were scattered throughout the Assyrian and Babylonian empires. They had no central home of their own. The land that God had promised them was no longer theirs. And so the whole house of Israel has come to recognize the seriousness of their situation. They are helpless, hopeless, cut off from God's life-giving presence. But then we see a shift. We see a sign of hope. Without in the least contradicting the self-perception that their present situation is hopeless, while reinforcing that accurateness of that idea, the Lord remains firm that there is nonetheless hope for the future. There is a sure and certain future based not on what Israel can do, but on God's determination to save his people. And so what does that mean for us? Well, the past seven weeks we've been taking a more focused look on the life of Jesus Christ. And from our study of the life of Christ and from our reading of this text, we find that we are not unlike the Israelites in this text. We have a sure and certain future based not on what we ourselves can do, but on what God has done through Christ in his determination to save his people. And so I would like to suggest that this passage in Ezekiel gives us two points that we can land on. First, we need to let God breathe life into our dry bones. As we've seen through our text, even with the bodies put back together, bone, joint, ligament, flesh, all in place, without the breath that can only come from God, they are still simply corpses. So many times when we're in moments of dryness, we try to pick up everything and put the pieces of our life back together. 
but without the Spirit breathing life into it, it's in vain, and it's still lifeless. Other times, we're really good at letting God put the pieces back together for us, and when we reach that moment where everything seems to be in its proper, proper place, we say, thanks, God, I've got this from here. Which brings me back to my pilgrimage to Tizay, France, in March of 2010. As I'm sitting in the solitude of an empty, quiet, small cathedral of that rural community, I'm recounting and I'm asking myself and I'm asking God, God, what am I not doing right? Why am I dry? Why am I not hearing from you? What do I need to do? And as I sat in the cold and dark of that quaint cathedral, I felt an overwhelming sense of the Spirit of God telling me, just because you're not hearing me doesn't mean I'm not there. And as I look back and I recall that moment in my life, it marks a moment where God was saying to me, stop trying to figure this out yourself and let me breathe life back into your dry bones. And second, I think this text is calling us as individuals and as a church body to continue in the task that Ezekiel had in that moment, in that valley. And that is that we are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dead world. The dryness of the bones represents the spiritual condition that we all as humans naturally share. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. By our nature, we are all cut off from God's life-giving presence. As a result of the fall, we are all indeed in need of God. And like the dry bones, we are lifeless. Apart from God, we are hopeless. But as, fall, but as Paul further claims, as Christians, we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so in other words, it's as we share an experience that Christ first experienced for us that we are brought from death to life. And so just as the dry bones in Ezekiel did not remain dead, so also Christ does not remain in the tomb. And when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are no longer like the dry bones. Rather, we are living, breathing, spirit-filled children of the living God. And we're to join in sharing that good news with a world that is desperately dry and a world that is desperately in need. So what Ezekiel saw in that vision was certainly fulfilled in the return of Israel from exile. But we have a reason to joyfully come to the table of our Lord because of the reality that that vision was more perfectly fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a sure and certain future 
based not on what we can do, but on what you have already done through Christ in your determination to reconcile your creation back to you. So Lord, we pray in moments of dryness. Father, rather than putting the pieces back together ourselves, Lord, that we would allow you to be our rock and our refuge, our provider and our strength. And Father, that you would breathe life into our dry bones. So Father, as we come to your table, as your people, we thank you and remember the sacrifice that you paid on our behalf. Father, may your word transform us. May our heart's desires be conformed to your desires for our hearts. And may we continue to grow in the likeness of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.